0: where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Druid number two. And I'm Justin Hawk Bradchain. Welcome to episode 216, SummerSlam 1996.
1: Brought to you by StrideX. Opposites attack! Weird.
2: Stri- Paul Duel's big right now. That would be a tract.
0: But to make it more WWE.
2: Yeah. yeah uh, oh yeah mm-hmm. who would who paul abdul wasn't big in 96 <laughs> who would who would get the uh
1: <laughs> i don't know
2: who would get the uh
1: mc scat cat
2: gimmick uh of the wwf roster at the time or now i mean i guess at the time like i'm like, like oh, right well, now i'd say just go ahead and throw well, a bad button so. yeah hmm. he, he is he has a very feline look did who do we say do we say now or then well, for now I said Bad Bunny, but <laughs> then I'm trying to think. It's like it's Pn News, right? <laughs> I think that's just the R. I. Uh, P. MC Scat.
1: <laughs>
2: R.I.P. N News. JT Smith. There we go. Yeah, I totally be... throw JT Smith in there with Paula. That'd be fun. That would be good. I was um, thinking like
1: who could use a new coat of paint, and I'm like Bob Holly, but Bob Holly yeah. would be really funny. <laughs> Howie Vega's always needed a new coat of paint. Marty, it, the first one didn't work. Marty would be funny, especially if the, he was awesome. uh, using a yeah, Bart Gun. Anybody in the, the tag yeah, team division? Bart Gun the way. Yeah. But wait, Phenies. he's got he's got to go on to win the brawl for all or whatever. Paula Abdul and Ezekiel. Or no, he didn't win. Didn't yeah? Did he win the brawl for? Or is he just the one that knocked out Doctor Death? He won. He won. Yeah. But then he lost to Butterbean. Oh, well, yeah. Of course he lost to Butterbean. No one was going to win against Butterbean. doesn't matter who it was. That guy's wow. got a crazy punch.
2: Bradshaw could have been a contender.
1: <laughs> I would have liked to see Bradshaw get uh, knocked, out, uh, knocked, knocked out by Butterbean with his fucking big dumb mouth.
0: So this is the ninth annual SummerSlam produced by the WWF. It would take place on August 18th, 1996, from the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio, with an attendance
1: of 17,000 people. It's one of the main four shows, 17,000? That's yep. the kind of number you're looking for. This is not, a, uh, this is not an in-your-house. it's a whole lot of Clevelandites in one area. It is. I believe the Gund Arena was, has been, like... That's one of the
0: first things. I think it just opened when this
2: oh, show really? happened. Okay. okay.
1: I guess yeah, I guess they do say it's new. I feel like for some reason I'd heard it sp- spoke of before. So. But
2: see, I, I had that same feeling, but in my mind, the only voice I can hear speaking of it is Jim Ross.
1: Yeah, and it could be one of those things, too, where it's like, oh, well, this is the new Gund Arena, and maybe the Gund Arena was a wrestling venue for, you know, years.
0: I guess it opened in 94.
1: It's still pretty new. Two years old ain't nothing.
0: And it looks like they tore it down in. Oh, it's still open. It's like the gun because the, ca- the cavaliers now. the cavaliers still use it. It's now the Rocket City or Rocket Mortgage Field House.
1: Yeah, I hate that arenas now all have just like sponsorship names mm-hmm. instead of like names like the Gund Arena. And For all I know, Gund is a. Th- thing but it's like it sucks when it's called like it's it the frosted the, flakes arena and it's, it's like the former yeah. cavalier's owner
0: was gordon Gund.
1: yeah see that's fun what it, na- it was named yeah yeah. yeah madison square garden it's not called the kellogg's yeah. fucking basketball hut
2: spicy hot Dorito. <laughs> the kellogg's Stadium. <laughs> <Yeah. hut. laughs>
1: it's just like that's what it sounds like it's like mm-hmm.
2: give it a give, give it a
1: regal name
2: like even Paycom hey, Center. I don't like the sound of that. No, it sounds dumb. Just call it the fucking Thunderdome. Or yeah, give it an actual name. Don't just name yeah. it after a company that invested in it. And
1: it was like the Ford, Ford Center money b- before and then. It just had like the Ford logo all over it. Like, Cox Center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It started as the Ford Center when yeah. it opened. But how nice does it sound? The building that we used to have large events, a lot of famous, famously used in Bill Watts Mid-South. The myriad, myriad gardens. Mm-hmm. Great name for an arena,
2: mm-hmm.
1: no. but now it's the Cox Convention Center. I know, and it's completely redone. And does that what it
2: used to be called back then? It was the Myriad Gardens Arena? Right? Yeah, oh, it was just a myriad. It was a myriad, okay. but it was because the true. Myriad Gardens is the yeah. gardens that's
1: down the street. Bro. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah,
0: Myriad is... Literally a, if you literally, if you say Myriad to anyone over know 30 is. years old here in Oklahoma, they
2: know exactly yeah, which building Yeah, that's where you saw about.
1: Monster Truck, that's where you saw Blazers, Wrestling, Blazers Hockey you know,
2: Games. Yeah, that's was, where they would have, like, concerts and Ford stuff. the Ford Center when I first went to it in 2000-something. Yeah. I think it was, anyways. But the Myriad was great because well, the it was, Ford
0: Center is the new building Yeah, building that the Thunder play in now. The Myriad was the building that Prairie Surf
1: is in now. Okay... And it was a big, okay. di- a big, dirty well, maybe I was just area. thinking it
2: was the same place. It just had no. a different name. No, just okay. across the street, the big building that's across R. the street. R.I.P.
1: the Myriad. I remember going to. But if you park certain places in
0: the city, you can you walk through the Myriad. Oh yeah, to get yeah. to the so i walked through
1: that. Yeah. But it used to be a a, a real grungy, lived in
2: arena. It was real. It was nice. You walked in and it felt like a bunch of shit had gone down there. Oh, yeah, I mean yeah. that's I that's how a bunch of your arenas and auditoriums and whatnot were back in the day.
0: And they're all gone. And now we have a new convention center. And so there's nothing there's literally nothing other than that film studio
1: yeah, in the Cox Convention Center. Sad. Now that I think the oldest thing you can probably go to that like still probably has that feel might be like some like rodeo arenas throughout the like center of the country. Or the Lazy E. Yeah, like the Lazy E. Lazy's been around forever. Never been there. But I'm sure it's got that, that grimy feel.
0: Thanks for going along with us on a look back <laughs> into Oklahoma building history. Yes. But well, Shane, we're in Cleveland we are. for this show. <laughs> so did you do what you do?
2: Well, here we are back in Cleveland, the land of Cleves. And yes, I, uh, I did what I do. Looking up, seeing what all is popular in the Cleveland area or Ohio itself, We've been here before. We've done, I want to say i brought Klondike ice cream bars. I've brought Polish boy hot dog sandwich thingies. I think i brought a cocktail or two from there. But, you know, it's SummerSlam, and what goes best in summertime than ice cream? Ice cream is a big hit in the Ohio area. I like to think it's because it's cold up there often, so, you know, you just got to eat ice cream during the cold months to stay a little bit warmer because you know your insides have to match the outside so that you stay warmer and you don't freeze. Looking up, I found one of the popular places there. It was an ice cream place called Jenny's. And looking at their menu, it looked very similar to a place that we have here in Oklahoma City called Boomtown Creamery. They've got a big variety of homemade ice creams and specialty flavors and gluten-free this and featured that. But Boomtown, I brought three different varieties or flavors, I should say, not varieties. The first one I thought would be a a safe choice just because, you know, everybody loves a little caramelly something. Uh, So I brought what was known as the Carmelita Crumble. It is salted caramel ice cream, oat cookie streusel, Sam Old Moses bourbon caramel swirl, and chocolate flex. I also brought one that sounded interesting called the Cherry Goat. It's goat cheese ice cream, roasted cherries, and salted fudge
1: swirl. No one gets my vote.
2: And then uh, another one that I thought would be an interesting mix, the Breakfast Milkalicious. It is Fruity Pebble ice cream, Fruit Loops, and Captain Crunch Berry Pieces. Yeah, you can tie that into wrestling as well for the whole Fruity Pebble thing with John Cena back in the day with him and The Rock. Got the cherry goat because everybody seems to be referring to themselves as the goat of something here over the last five, ten, however many yeah, years.
1: Yeah, basically, probably, maybe early 2000s rap music because they started saying the goat. I think LL Cool J was an early one to say that. Okay, he was the goat. He may be the one that coined it. I don't so know.
2: Hell. More than 10, 15 yeah. years. Maybe closer to 30, 40 years.
1: Yeah, he didn't quote, the, he didn't make up EGOT, but we all know <laughs> who did that, and he never got anywhere close, but, you know. Oh, Mr. Miami Vice. And that EGOT's not even cool Goat, It's like, I get it. It's a good, that's a pretty, <laughs> good, that's a pretty
2: that's a good acronym. Yeah, we got, uh, we cleared out our ice cream bowls before the recording officially even started, so there will be no sound effects. I can, you know, ting my... There you go. My, my spoon on my bowl. Also, yeah,
1: <laughs> this might be the, the like the worst ASMR. Is someone just like eating ice cream.
2: <laughs> but yeah, if you are ever in Oklahoma City, well, I guess I didn't even ask Michael. You said the the cherry goat was your. That was your, my favorite, favorite of
1: the three. Of course, they were all good. They were all ice cream. What was
2: your thoughts, Matthew? But that one
0: was the most unique. The breakfast cereal one had the most. I actually think it was probably the most unique because of, there was a texture, and of and like a flavor that was just kind of like in your face. Yeah, that's true. but it wasn't like overwhelming. Yeah. Um, while the cherry goat, I th- I think it was probably the best quality of of the three, but it, it was more subtle. Yeah. The, the salted caramel, I felt like it probably could have had a little bit more of the salted caramel. Yeah. Because it basically just was. Vanilla ice cream with
2: some fixings in it. Yeah, and I kind of had that same feeling. I didn't really get much of a salted, yeah, aspect from it at mean, all. I mean, I know
0: salted caramel can be a understated oh. flavor tone as well, but yeah,
2: yeah, they've got some other flavors that I'm gonna have to check out sometime. Their banana fosters looks good. Mm, that sounds great. Right. The uh, espresso crunch. I figured I'd save you the coffee flavor. I appreciate it. <laughs> and then there's one that's a, a hazelnut. Basically, it's like a Nutella swirl ice cream. Hazelnut fudge, Nutella ice cream, and fudge swirl. Um, That is what that is. Yeah. Sounds great. That one sounds delicious. They've got one that's a lemon berry Bliss that has lemon ice cream, lemon curd, and blueberry compote, all kinds of goodies. So, yeah, if you are ever in the Oklahoma area or Oklahoma City, swing by and check out Boomtown Creamery in the Uptown 23rd area, and, you know, then go a block down the street and say hi to us over at tucker's if you happen to be there
0: <laughs> yeah. a couple of movies in fact a couple sports movies Ooh, Ooh, i
1: wonder if i've seen these
0: would hit the theater the same weekend the fan and tim cup
2: take it away boys <laughs> <laughs> take it away matt <laughs> you, neither
0: one of you have seen either one of these. Uh, I don't even know
2: what the fan is. The fan I, know I remember is. when it came out, it's Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes, but it was always one of those I really? was like, uh, I'll watch it eventually and then I just never got around to watching it and then I don't think either of those 20 something years go by. Probably remember making it. And then Tin Cup is Kevin Costner. It's Kevin Costner? And Kevin Costner was is hot as hell right now. Extremely anti Kevin Costner in uh, the nineties you? well, no, it was like Dances with Wolves came out, and then everything he made after that, I didn't care about anymore.
0: So the fan it's
2: it's based on a
1: Peter Abrams book, but
2: I've seen Celtic Pride or Celtic Pride. Celtic Pride. <laughs> basically,
0: Wesley Snipes plays Barry Bonds, <laughs> and Robert De Niro is his stalker. Um yeah. and so it beca- it's like it's, a thriller? It, it is a yeah. thriller, but like it is not very good. It sounds bad. Like other than you can tell Sn- I mean, Snipes is a major league, so he kinda knows how to swing a bat so he doesn't look completely worthless yeah. in the sports scenes.
1: he's obviously an athletic. But movie. it's
0: a Tony Scott film and Tony Scott didn't know how to shoot sports film (laughs) yeah so it's very it's it's just this very weird everybody out of place tony scott being very experimental
1: in in places when it would have just been better to and tony scott is do a wide shot a pretty wild guy in the first place as far as like the movies he makes most of them don't make any sense but like they are capital m movies where he's just like it's gonna look great on the big screen (laughs) so
2: yeah and then Tin Cup was John, Kevin Costner, golf. Rene Russo, yeah, and Don Johnson. Yeah, okay. I'm trying to remember because I, mean, I again I worked at Blockbuster at the time when all these movies were out, so I remember renting them to a bunch of people and seeing the previews on our trailer tape. But yeah, yeah, that it had no. I, I liked Rene Russo, but Tin Cup had no qualities that was like rent me, rent me because it was Kevin Costner. It is
0: probably my favorite golf movie. Like anytime I'm about to go
1: play golf, I'll like throw tin cup on just as like a. Is it a period piece?
2: Hmm. No, I guess that's the legend of Bagger Vance. Yeah, yeah, this was just set in the '90s.
0: He's a a golf pro at a d- desert rundown course course, and
1: he works the, his way uh, up to the PGA well, so tour.
0: The U.S. Right. Open in, in golf, the U.S. Open is open to. Anybody. Yeah. You just have to go and do all these qualifying tournaments. And if you qualify, you can play in the actual U.S. Open with the the real pros, basically. And he ends up making the U.S. Open. And his ex-girlfriend is Rene Russo. And she's dating Don Johnson, who plays the smarmy pro. Yeah. And so...
1: He's our know, shooter McGavin. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That's, exactly. I mean, it's it's... A lot of it is it's yeah. it's the dr- it's the drama version of, of Happy Happy, Happy Gilmore because yeah. the storyline is basically the same
1: Yeah, except for maybe minus the grandma.
0: Yeah, and I mean just the infamous scene is you know he's on like the seventeenth hole or whatever. There's yeah. a water, there's a pond yeah. in front of the green, and he goes to he goes to hit it. First one goes in, and he just keeps doing it, and obviously, every time you go into the water, it's, like, two shots, basically, and that's how he got his name, was Tin Cup, because, like, literally, he was a great shooter, but he would just, like, choke, he would choke at some point, and (laughs) it's a, it's a, I enjoy Tin Cup quite a bit, it's probably one of my favorite sports movies. I
1: do like sports movies, and though I'm not a huge sports guy, but I appreciate a good sports movie, and, uh.
2: I'm all mm. for sports movies, but yeah, unfortunately these were two that I just Didn't. Is it is it Bull Durham? Good?
0: <laughs> Bull Durham is good, but I don't love it.
1: Really? I love like, it.
0: Like most most baseball I guess people, most baseball people love Bull Durham and it's kind of like I'm just kind of like,
1: yeah, all right. I love it. It's so charming. But but it is a Bull Durham definitely appeals to a wider audience than like just Baseball fans, yeah. See, we oh, we saw
2: the other versions of these two movies because you mentioned the other one of uh, Celtic Pride. Yeah, yeah we that yeah, one Celtic was good though. Uh, no, no, uh, but it's, but it's fun. It's yeah. It's I remember renting it. It's a cheesy comedy from around yeah. the same time. It has to do with the same thing. It's just with.
0: Well, see, Celtic Pride might Daniel actually be Stern. better than the fan, just for the sheer fact that yeah. it's a comedy. Yeah, so, yeah, so, it's so like so enjo- for sakes, so some sakes, Daniel Stern and Damon Wayans, instead yeah.
2: of Robin Williams and or not Robin Williams. I think the reason De Niro.
1: I, I watched Celtic
2: Pride was because when I was a kid, I
1: only watched comedies, and uh, my dad's from Massachusetts and was a Celtics fan, so it's like, well, you know. Weeks I'll watch ago, this. we were
2: talking about the movie posters that I had. Celtic Pride. That was one of them. Yeah, that's awesome. You mentioning that actually brought me back to the poster on my wall. That's funny. <laughs>
1: Daniel Stern what a guy.
2: And then yeah, obviously, Happy Gilmore was the the other version of Ish of yeah. 10 Cup.
1: Sports movies in the 90s, I mean, did they ever make more sports movies in any other decade? And the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 80s had the your The 80s
0: had quite a few.
2: Yeah, you had your baseball movies, you had your golf movies, you it had It seems like your every hockey. kids movie
1: that was live action in the 90s was a sports movie almost. Disney made quite a few of those because they're yeah they're pretty easy to make. I mean, yeah, they crapped them out. Mighty Ducks, baby. Mighty Ducks, Mighty Ducks two. Little Giants, Ladybugs, Little Big, Mott, League? Green, Little Big League, uh, Big Green, yeah, yeah, Angels in the Outfield. It's like <laughs> there's so many.
0: Angel of the Outfield two. Oh, Airbud, Airbud two,
2: <laughs> Airbud three. <laughs> Airbud four, Airbuddies.
1: Yeah, Airbud goes I don't, to space. I don't know how many <laughs> air buds are. Already... I don't need it.
2: I've never seen one. Santa paws. Ooh, That's I right. like that. That sounds fun. Yeah, we we've gone from sports to holidays. <laughs> well,
0: let's go back to wrestling, <laughs> and let's talk some SummerSlam '96.
2: SummerSlam.
0: We get the WWF logo before a narrator tells us about monsters and their masks, and we see highlights of Mankind Invader as the narration continues, saying some are deranged, unaware of the insanity that festers within, while others are brutal and ruthless. We then see Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker as it switches to the Monster Slayers, as they are varied and unique. HBK will have to use his guile, athleticism, and courage to overcome a 200-pound weight difference, while the Deadman will have to exorcise the demon not being able to rely on convention in their cold, unforgiving
1: battleground. It's so funny that they're like monsters and their slayers. It's like, The Undertaker is a monster. Mm-hmm. Mankind is a crazy human. <laughs> but The Undertaker has always been sold as a supernatural being, therefore a monster. And I'm like, couldn't you have found another way to phrase this? Because it's really... Silly. It's like he but but he is a monster. Mm-hmm. About two monsters collide. I mean, I know they're trying to sum it up between the two main matches, obviously, but it's like an Undertaker is hundred and ten percent a monster. The most successful monster gimmick in yeah. all of wrestling. I mean he's he's been murdered and come back to life. He flew, at, he flew to on that he flew that.
0: Narration continues by saying David. Must slay Goliath, and the Reaper must take another damned soul. But good doesn't always triumph over evil. Sometimes the horror lives on. Then we get shots of Cleveland, the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Jacobs Field, which was where the Indians and now the Guardians play, and the brand new Arena, as Vince McMahon welcomes us to the show, joined by Mr. Perfect and Jim Ross. And Perfect thinks Sean will lose, while JR thinks the Boiler Room Brawl will change both men forever. Ooh.
1: I mean, yeah, pretty believable. I believe that one.
0: <laughs> but we go to our first match, Sabio Vega versus Owen
1: Hart. What, what? It's nice to see Owen.
0: And we see Owen still has his cast on. He also has his Slammy with him. Which the ref warns him not to use before having to actually stop him from using them as well. And Savio tries to take advantage, but Owen continuously blocks, only for Hart to telegraph a back body drop, which Vega leapfrogs, grabbing the arm and smashing it across multiple turnbuckles. Savio then works that arm with holds, a scoop slam, and goes for an elbow drop, only for Owen to move and attempt to return the favor with an elbow drop. But Vega then moves and goes right back to Armholtz.
1: There's a slight uh, Owen chant at some point, and I'm like, well, yeah, we love him because he's great, but that's, that doesn't bode well for Savio Vega. No,
0: no. <laughs> and we get split screen where we see Jim Cornette and Vader in their locker room warming up before returning to the action where Owen escapes with an eye poke and the two men begin to run the ropes, ending with Savio hitting a monkey flip and several arm drags for a two count. Vega then whips hard hard into a corner, chest first, rolling him on the bounce back for a near fall, with Savio stumbling into the ring post, shoulder first on the kick out.
2: I gotta love the uh, Owen taking a classic Brett bump while Brett's out of the the picture for the time being.
0: They actually mentioned Brett during this show for like the first time in Mm -hmm. a few months. So... For shadowing? He must have signed.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, for sure.
0: Owen uses the opportunity to focus on the shoulder of Vega, with holds, stomps, and an arm bar takedown for a two count. Savio escapes more holds by biting the leg of a heart. But Owen
1: then ties up Vega in the ropes and slaps him. So maybe Savio is working on a healer. (laughs) Biting people. Who does he think he is, Hulk Hogan?
2: I mean... (sighs) <sighs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All of a sudden, Clarence Mason makes his way out to the ring as Hart attempts a drop kick, only for Sabio to avoid and attempt a spinning wheel kick, which Owen ducks. Hart then attempts a spinning wheel kick of his own, only for Vega to duck and nail a crossbody for a near fall. Owen comes back with an enziguri for a two count, which causes
1: Owen to argue with the ref because he's like, oh, that was three. I mean, you know. She's trying to get booze, but, you know, he's so much more interesting than Savio Vega. But this allows
0: Savio to recover and roll up Hart when he turns around for a near fall. Vega would then whip Owen to a corner and charge in, only to get a knee to the face, allowing Hart to cover him with his feet on the ropes for a two count. Owen thinks he's won, but the ref tells him differently, and the arguing begins again. Once more, allowing Savio to roll up Hart for a near fall.
1: Owen Hart one of the better... Brats in wrestling oh yeah such a good brat he's I got the face for it yeah he's got the, the face, for kids, yeah, so. he's
2: got face for it and it's like you know probably he's wasn't real. he was in real life that bratty little brother that you either had or didn't want
1: yeah yeah
2: you didn't want him but you end up loving him
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh and then delivers a spinning wheel kick for a two count before charging at Vega in a corner only for Savio to hit a spinning heel kick Savio then starts to fire up with an atomic drop multiple clotheslines, chops, and mounted punches, before hitting a body slam and a leg drop for a near fall. Sidewalk slam by Vega for a two count, but he then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Hart to nail a neck breaker and head up top for a missile drop kick for a near fall. Owen goes up top again for a moonsault, but Savio kicks his legs out from under him, causing him to crotch himself.
2: Kicked his leg out from under his leg, damn it. (laughs) Not his (laughs) underlegs.
0: Vega then climbs up for a back superplex, but the back of his head lands on Owen's cast, allowing Hart to recover and play possum as Savio makes it back to his feet. Crack. And Owen removes his cast and nails Vega in the face, knocking him out before locking on the sharpshooter for the ref stoppage and And the win.
1: Do you think Owen Hart uh, has never seen a Lex Luger match? It's like he's got metal in his arm I have a cast on my arm You Just keep it on
0: But I think taking it off Makes
1: makes it like obvious That he doesn't need it It's a great visual and it definitely You know it's there to garner uh, Heat but it makes him look Stupid That's all I'm saying
2: I mean it makes him look stupid But it also makes him look smarter than everybody else Because he's
1: pulling it off Yeah yeah Yeah, it's only stupid if you don't get away with it, right?
0: (laughs) Post-match, Clarence Mason jumps in the ring to celebrate with Hart, which confuses him momentarily. Mm -hmm. But they hug before Clarence raises the cast-covered arm with Owen Wincy (laughs) in pain. Justin, Hawk, Bradshaw, and Zebekiah then arrive at ringside, yelling at Vince before attacking Savio as he's headed to the back.
1: I think he attacked Savio with his words
2: first.
0: <laughs> and this is the first time we've seen Justin Hawk Bradshaw, and he is a WWE Hall of Famer. While the last time we saw Zebekiah was at SummerSlam ninety five, episode one sixty three. And see, I forgot
2: the two of them were linked back at this time yeah. until until they showed up on my screen. Because yeah. I remember I remember Bradshaw being there back in the day with his long hair, but I don't remember him being linked with Zebekaya I'm trying to remember they were the I want to say he was in a tag team with somebody but I can't remember who his tag team partner was but they were like the Bradshaw's or something like that <laughs> <laughs> Brad and or Shaw no, the Bradshaw's is it uh Blackjacks Wyndham
1: when Wyndham comes in do they do Blackjacks
2: yeah. yeah it was like Blackjacks Bradshaw Blackjack two
1: yeah two cowboys yeah two two new cowboys the uh I mean one's less new but The Widowmaker returns. Yeah, Justin Hawk Bradshaw's uh, clothes fit these days. Uh, but if you've seen him recently in the last couple, last year or so on WWF, largest pleated pants I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. He's... yeah. Did he borrow those from Danny Glover off the set of Predator 2? <laughs> <laughs> Crazy looking.
0: We go to Todd Pettengill in the boiler room, and he calls it disturbing, ominous, and freaky. Before explaining the rules of the boiler room brawl. Todd continues his tour saying there are things before finding mankind in a corner. Who calls the boiler room the hollowed halls saying there's no place like home. Foley then licks a dusty pipe.
1: I love every square inch of this place.
0: Before warning the undertaker not to enter because a fate worse than death awaits him. And the match will alter the future of
1: all mankind. Is it being licked on the face by mankind? Is that the the, uh, threat?
0: He then wishes everyone to have a nice day. Have a nice day. Before Todd points out the lick marks, reacting with
2: disgust. Licked a dusty pipe in Cleveland, Ohio, huh? I mean, I guess it's technically a new arena, or stadium, it's but... still, still
1: gross. <clears throat> Have you getting been paid to lick anything?
2: Uh, I cannot <laughs> disclose that on a microphone. <laughs> but no. Uh, it was just hanging in the air. Let's go to our second
1: match. <laughs>
0: the New Rockers of Marty Jannetty and Leaf Cassidy versus the Body Donnas of Skip and Zip versus the Godwins of Henry O. and Phineas I. Godwin with Hillbilly Jim. Versus the smoking guns of Bart and Billy Gunn with Sonny for the WWF World Tag Team Championships in a four-way elimination match.
2: You don't realize how much you miss hearing the Rockers theme song until it just starts playing without you realizing it's going to be playing. Yeah. It's just instant happiness. It takes me back to being a kid. Back to the barbershop? Pre-barbershop.
0: So the last time we saw Marty was at the Royal Rumble 96, episode 183. Leaf Cassidy, when he was better known as Al Snow, at Double Tables, episode 143.
1: It's been some time. That was the only show we've seen him at, right? No, we've, no, seen, we've, him we've seen him at a couple Two shows. shows, yeah. The first time we saw him was... The Smoky Mountain Wrestling like championship tournament, yeah, bingo hall show where with the bad commentary.
2: Yeah, and then all of a sudden he showed up in ECW for a minute or two. A minute, yeah.
1: So funny to me to, to see him as a like a nimble, more technician style wrestler than the guy that screams about head. Still, still gonna take a while for that to sink in. There's, I guess, there's a reason that you know. The head stuff works better for him in the future. I mean, it's what everybody wants. It's, it's what everybody needs. Such a funny joke that I didn't get it the first time I saw
2: Al Snow. Uh, you poor kid. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so we see Skip with a neck collar on. And it's because he's legit injured with oh. a fractured vertebrae that had occurred a week before. So, I don't know if you noticed... But he never tags into this match.
1: Uh, I definitely noticed. I mean, if I had to pick a guy, I'm a Tom Pritchard guy. But I I haven't seen enough Candido.
0: You haven't seen enough Candido. So the rules of this match, basically the competitors can tag anyone, with JR pointing out that partners might have to face each other. But if they do, they must make contact before tagging out.
1: Kiss on the cheek. Tag the next guy in. Finger poke, a doom. Mm-hmm. hug, handshake, high five, yeah, you give a uh, fist bump, yeah,
0: scissor me, daddy.
1: There you go. <laughs> that felt weird. <laughs> I mean,
0: scissoring should feel weird. <laughs> so Billy and Hogg started off with Henry taking the guns down with shoulder blocks, hip toss, a pair of bad-looking right hands, and a wheelbarrow suplex, sending Billy into the body Donna corner to tag in Zip. Hog tags in Phineas with the Godwin taking the body Donna down with a shoulder block as Sonny and the guns make fun of all of them. And Pig and Zip start running the ropes, but then both just stop and tag the guns before doing a little strut
1: and a hug. Strut was cute. A hug was cute.
0: And the guns protest having to fight each other with Skip calling them chickens, waving his arms. That's all he can move. Before Bart tags in Zip, even though they really never make contact with each other. I, I guess Bart like slapped Billy's back at one point. The ref allowed it. He was choking. You know, <laughs> rules. <laughs> yeah. Zip with several arm drags and a clothesline of Billy. And he goes to run the ropes when Janetti would trip him from the floor. Allowing Billy to make the cover for the pin. And the body donnas have been
1: eliminated. Uh, an unceremoniously, elimination mighty have fallen
0: and this would be the last time the body donnas are a team we will see skip show up in ecw very soon but zip would become basically become a trainer with the occasional appearance on tv so we we haven't seen the last of him either but there'll be different gimmicks it won't be as as zip thankfully
1: yeah i mean what terrible names for those guys
0: Yep. Though his next gimmick that we do see him
2: as, even worse, is pretty funny actually. Are we talking zip or skip? Zip. Okay.
0: So it's... literally, we'll just see, we we will just see him on TV. There there are some TV episodes that we'll watch that he is on, that he is a different gimmick that's making, that's a callback to a old gimmick that we haven't seen in a while.
2: Okay. Sounds so color me intrigued. With Skip going down to ECW, does he? Get to blossom a little more? Yes. I never never Um, got to watch any of him in ECW, so...
0: Candido... Candido joins up with a couple other guys, and... Does he get that Shane Douglas
2: rub, kind of? Yeah, I know
1: that he's a wrestler people love, but I've not seen any prime Candido.
2: Because I could attribute that, you know, comparing ECW Shane Douglas to what he was like when he came to WWF, I could see candido having that same thing you know not getting his real chance to shine in wwf and then going to ecw and actually exploding to show people what he was capable of you know
1: what hurts so much about the shane douglas thing is that he was already doing great in ecw had to leave and do something horrendous to come back and continue to be great in ecw with the same gimmick, and it's like ah so frustrating yep
0: so Henry comes in and he's tossed to the ropes by Billy where Cassidy would get a knee up to the back from the apron. So the gun tags in Leaf, who nails a clothesline to Hog. Marty's then tagged in and he nails a clothesline of his own Thanks for coming, Leaf. before hitting a falling fist. And the rockers and guns just seem to be working together keeping the Godwins at bay when Cassidy would go for a clothesline from the apron on Henry only for him to avoid causing Billy to take the blow. Hog then fires up with a side slam ability with the Rockers running in to break up the pin with elbow drops. But Henry moves, causing the gun to
2: take this blow Ooh. as well. Yeah. Friendship terminated. I'm trying to remember, are the Rockers heels, heels at this time? Okay. I mean it feels
1: like it in this match. I feel like that they're either like they're either heels or they're a new team and they're smaller, both. You know, the guns and the new rockers are smaller than the Godwins. So it makes sense. Like, hey, if we take down these big guys, we'll fight each other. But until then, here's our pact. But the pact didn't last.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The rockers and guns start to argue in the middle of the ring. So the Godwins both come in to hit stereo double noggin knockers. Hog with a back elbow to Janetti, goes for a clothesline. Only for Marty to duck and run Henry into a turnbuckle for an O'Connor roll for a two-count, but the kick-out sends Janetti into Leaf. Hog then nails the slop drop for the pin, and the rockers are or eliminated.
2: eliminated. You, Use the
0: Leaf in the wind. Bart comes in to attack with a scoop slam, a knee drop, but then charges into a big boot in the corner,
1: followed by Henry charging out with a clothesline. Sunny's trying to do her job. She's trying to get the heat, but... She can't get it. She calls everybody ugly. They love it. They love being called ugly here. She tries to hit the mat to incite booze. You know, prime heel manager move, but it's just she's too hot to hate.
0: The guns with some double teaming to remain in control when Billy would attempt a corner splash, only for Hogg to catch and drop him with a power slam, allowing Henry to make the crawl for the hot tag. Pig cleans house with right hands before Hogg hits a clothesline to Bart that takes them both out to the floor. And Hillbilly Jim starts to go after Sonny with the slop bucket, while Phineas hits the slop drop on Billy. Makes the cover, but the ref
1: is distracted
0: by all of the shenanigans out on the floor.
1: They got that visual pin, though. It means something it's to the minds so of many the fan. Shenanigans. And Bart uses
0: the opening to fly in off the top rope with a double axe handle. Rolling Billy on top for the pin. And, and the win.
2: Remember when a double axe handle would just knock somebody out? Yep. Uh, the <laughs> last time that
1: happened was... Uh, this match? I mean, I no, I was going to say maybe uh, Velveteen Dream. But he didn't really knock somebody out with it. But he was the last guy to use it regularly. So
2: I guess I didn't watch much of him, so... He was
1: wonderful. Unfortunately, he he's is not, not a very good, good, good person. person. Mm-hmm. Um, most wrestlers aren't, but uh, he's a little too bad. Yeah. I do love that J.R. says that the Godwins' biggest fan, Bill Clinton's birthday, <laughs> is today. So, happy birthday... Oh, yes. ...to that saxophone-playing rascal.
0: Post-match, Sunny celebrates before grabbing a mic, and she tells the women the guns are what real men look like. I mean,
1: they look pretty manly to me.
0: Before running all the men to compare her to their fat girlfriends and unveiling a gift for the crowd. Fireworks explode and a giant picture of Sunny unfurls
2: above the ring. All well, her trash talking to the audience made me do or made me want was Rick Rude. Oh, yeah. I just want him to come out and she insult does, the crowd.
1: She does kind of do a Rick Rude, and honestly, yeah, you fat out of shape, yeah, something, something, sweat hogs. And then, to be <laughs> honest, uh, they're pretty, you know, obviously opposite sex, but pretty equally as hot as far as that goes. Oh, yeah, so I can see why. I mean, is that make Billy the Medusa? Young Billy Gunn's I mean, pretty great, looking. old Billy Gunn
0: still looks
1: well, I mean, great. He, he looks he's jacked, but you know, as someone. He's the, not particularly uh, into dudes. A as, super jack dude's not really my
2: vibe. As somebody who is into dudes, yeah, I I thought both of the guns back in the day were attractive, but I thought Bart was the better looking of the two, so it just made me wonder what Bart today looks like in comparison. Oh, yeah.
1: it could be interesting. But
2: Billy is like... If he grew up to be juicing. that silver fox. Oh, yeah. Or if he you only get if silver became fox, the typical yeah. wrestler that got away from the business, got out of shape, lost hair. That's something that nobody points out about. It's like, if you have dark hair, you
1: have the option to be a silver fox, but if you have light hair, you just lose it. So it's like, oh, what a what a good-looking blonde guy. It's like, well, he's going to be bald or thinning, but a guy with dark hair has at least the chance so to I've be a silver make fox. The other,
2: opposite, or the other argument of their hair doesn't turn gray if they have blonde hair. It goes white.
1: Yeah, but the gray, <laughs> dark hair with gray looks better. Yeah. Shane, you wear it well. Well,
0: thank you. Benson sends us to a video package of superstars touring Cleveland. And we see the Godwins and the Guns have a race to the arena. It's like the inspiration for the Amazing Race right here in this little promo. (laughs) And the Guns take a horse and carriage while the Godwins take a train. Which the Guns can't believe it
1: when they lose. I was trying to think of a cannonball run pun, but just can't do it. Yeah, it's been too long since I've yeah. seen Cannonball Run. I, I know, it's you. a mad, 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 mad world. It's like, ah, it's just so that I can't fit the wrestling into it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jerry Lawler then visits the Cleveland Indians batting practice, getting players to teach him to throw a spitball, which is an illegal pitch, while Sandy Alomar Jr. wants to learn the pile driver.
1: It is fun that the uh, pitchers, the baseball players, are like that's an that's an illegal pitch. Like I can't show you that. It was they played into it really well. They were having some fun.
0: Lawler also gets to throw out the first pitch at the game, but then they show him in his seats, and they're not the best because it's like the last row of top of the outfield.
1: Yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, he's like it's to the point where there's like twenty or forty seats that are empty around him in, the, in the, like the top crummy corner of the arena and he's
2: still he didn't even move down yeah I mean they, they put him high up above everybody else so that he can look down on all the commoners because you know oh, so yeah. that's like the royal seating section right there there's
1: there's a reason okay. for it did you guys ever see that clip of uh, two people uh, having sex at the top of one of those where they're like oh no one can see us it's very funny It's nope. not it's not that I mean it's graphic but it's you know it's from far enough away that we're like, is that what I think it is?
0: <laughs> we then see superstars help paint over some graffiti, including the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. Ooh. And this is our first time to see him, so I'd like to inform you that he is a WWE Hall of Famer.
2: He's such a baby in this little debut. It's, it's crazy. I mean, he's not one who has really aged a whole lot over the years but he just went from being this like teenage looking kid to yeah you know, being a grown ass man now.
1: He definitely aged well. His um uh, you know his face held up. It's also like I was like, "Oh, are we going to move into a guardian angels gimmick here?" And I'm like, "They didn't, thank God." We're also... just covering up the graffiti. They're just doing something nice.
0: We also see the Undertaker and Paul Bearer give away a free funeral. <laughs> Hilarious. Before we see an autograph signing at like a fan fest type gathering,
1: yeah, man, Shane, did you ever go to any like fan fest signings? Cause no, I feel like the ones back in the day, like pre-internet, could have been really fun because they just would have been so slapped together. But if you were like depending on your age, it still would have felt cool. Whereas now, like I'm not a guy that's into signatures, but if you go to a place. Some kind of fan fest thing, just like people sitting at a table, and it doesn't really feel like exciting or anything. Maybe that's because I'm not into signatures, but it just like it just feels humdrum. But as a kid, stuff like that feels like exciting. Like no. going to a card show when you're a kid is exciting, or a comic show when you're a kid is exciting.
2: So I didn't go to any of those back then, but I I did encounter you know superstars over the years as a kid. Yeah, we're running into. Mr. Perfect and Big Boss Man at the Dallas airport or oh, you know, standing awesome. in line at a gas station in Kansas and taking a step back out or taking a step backwards, not realizing that I was running into Nikita Koloff. Damn. Yeah. That's crazy. I don't
1: think I've ever seen a famous person just in the wild.
2: Yeah. I got the autograph for, for Perfect and, and Boss Man, but then I just wanted to kick myself. I was 15, 15 or 16 at yeah. the time. And I had a copy of the then WWF magazine with me right there at the airport. But it was sitting (laughs) in my nephew's stroller. And, yeah, I I missed out on getting Mr. Perfect's signature on the Mr. Perfect covered magazine.
1: Oh, it was the cover? Yeah. Damn. Well, hey.
2: By the time I realized it, they were gone.
1: I mean, even though you don't have the signature, you'll at least remember it. Oh, yeah. I mean,
2: I got the signature. It's just not on the magazine. Not on the (laughs) magazine.
1: We
0: then go to our third match, the British Bulldog versus Psycho Sid. And while Davey Boy enters, Doc Hendricks interviews Sid in the back, asking him about the positive reactions he has been getting. And Psycho Sid claims he heard the fans screaming for months, that they wanted the man back, so he's here to stay. Doc then asks if Sid can master the world of the Bulldog, with Psycho Sid just laughing. Saying that tonight is his chance to take one more step before it's over, and that people will stand and tell him he's the master and ruler
1: of the world. I mean, Sid's best promo work. Honestly, I think this is great. Like he, this is. I am very high on Sid. Right here,
2: like where we're going, he is really actually feeling himself and doing a character. I enjoyed the promo, but then at the same time, I kept watching, going. Is this the one where he like stops midway through and asks if he can do it over again? Like, no, I think that was Monday Night Raw. <laughs> he's
0: the he's music, feeling himself. Though the music of Bulldog was playing the entire time that he's talking, and he's like waiting for his keys. and he's doing he's like doing the whisper and then being a lot louder thing, and so it was kind of hard to understand him completely what he was saying. But
1: he's got kind of like a a more focused warrior vibe and more nuanced as well because he goes quiet and he goes loud, but his eyes are insane and he like legitimately feels he feels like he means it. He's trying. Like he's obviously trying and I think he's doing a good and compelling job.
0: So once the match starts, Davy Boy throws shoulder blocks that are no sold by Psycho Sid, but he then runs into a clothesline and a body slam, causing Bulldog to roll to the floor to regroup. US Back in the ring, they take the fight to the mat with Sid attempting to kip up out of a head scissors, but doesn't quite make it to his feet, before slamming Davy Boy for a two count. Psycho Sid then sends Bulldog to the ropes, but he telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Davy Boy to deliver a stalling suplex and begin to wear down Sid with holds, as Clarence Mason has made his way out to the ring for this match as well.
1: Stalling suplex on Psycho Sid, obviously impressive.
0: And I think it was at this point that one of our commentators actually tells us why Clarence Mason keeps coming out. Yeah, basically trying to like Cornet's been so busy and focused on Vader that his other camp Cornet clients haven't been getting the attention. The, the attention, and Mason's kind of kind of trying to step in to be that guy for them.
1: Is he trying to sneak them out of Camp Cornet? Possibly. Or is he on there on Cornette's behalf? We don't know, but if the British Bulldog comes out and Jim Cornette doesn't, it's uh, very, very uh, rare yeah. at this point in time. Mm-hmm.
0: And Psycho Sid fires up to escape, but Bulldog clotheslines him over the ropes to the floor before seeing split screen of Vader and Cornette warming up still in the locker room. And Sid makes it back to the apron, only for Davy Boy to knock him right back off with another clothesline. And Bulldog looks to bring in Psycho Sid the hard way, but changes his mind and drops him gut first across the ropes for a near fall.
1: It's such a like subtle and smart thing to do, because it's like, oh, we did that stalling suplex. Psychosid is huge. B- Bulldog is also huge, but like, it's going to take something out of him, so it makes sense. It's like, well, how about I just take the wind out of him by dropping him down? There's uh,
2: some psychology here some ribs, knock some wind out, all that. Yep.
0: Davy Boy returns to the chin lock until Sid can break free with elbows, chops, and a corner splash. Psycho Sid then charges into a corner again, only for Bulldog to move this time and deliver a running power slam. Woo. But he doesn't make the cover as Cornet has made his way out to ringside to argue with Mason, wanting to know why he's out there. Davey Boy finally returns to Sid and picks him up for another running power slam. But Psycho Sid wiggles out the back to nail a choke slam and a power bomb for the pin and, and the win. win. I think this match is pretty good, guys. I
1: love Big Eyed Sid. These are big guys that are trying to do it. It doesn't feel lazy and it doesn't feel sloppy. And Sid is booked at six nine, like three thirteen, and he looks and every motivated. bit of it. And he's he's absolutely motivated. Fans are behind him. The only thing that this match did wrong, and I say that in quotations, was that it made Bulldog look stupid. But he's a heel, and heels typically
0: look stupid. But he also doesn't lose anything because he lost because of a, of a distraction.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it's the it's the right finish to not bury bulldog yeah. but it's like why would he care that they're arguing psycho sid is bigger one of the few guys that's bigger than the british bulldog and there's no razor and there's no hall here and sid is kind of total what's great is that those guys were over and they had their couple of years and they were both great in different ways obviously Wouldn't have been great to see Hall mature in WWF as opposed to stop working in uh, WCW. But Sid is, uh, you know, he's filling, filling that role in a completely different way.
0: We then go to a commercial for In Your House Mind Games. And we get the aliens and the fan that we've seen in previous commercials. Return with the aliens wanting to observe WWF's effect on babes Earth babes Before teleporting some lovely ladies To the guys living room
1: They see Sonny and Sable and they're like Earth babes
0: (laughs) That's what I say too
2: They are earth babes I mean, earth girls are easy from what I Remember from a movie Great movie
0: (laughs) We go to our fourth match Goldust With Marlena Versus Wild Man Mark Marrow with Sable, and during the Golden One's entrance, Todd Pettingel interviews the Wild Man in the back, showing footage of mankind scaring Sable on an episode of Superstars, calling her "mommy."
2: Worst over actress ever.
1: <laughs> That's the thing about wrestling too. It's like you can overact as long as you, as long as you attempt to mean it. But, uh,
2: you know. He's talking to me, so I have to cry.
0: And Meryl doesn't understand Foley or the head games. But it's time to put up or shut up. Telling Goldust that he will be a falling star tonight. Before heading to the ring after making a weird face at the camera.
1: <laughs> it's the only one he's got.
2: He's a wild man.
0: <laughs> and they're in the ring and the golden one slaps the wild man to begin. But he then hides behind the ref to keep Marrow at bay. They then lock up with the Wild Man hitting several arm drags and a crossbody for a two count before taking the match to the mat, working the arm of Goldust. Marrow then telegraphs a back body drop, only for the Golden One to drop down and punch up. I mean, we love it. The Wild Man recovers and charges at Goldust, but he's back body dropped out to the floor. And Marrow is dragged back to the apron where the Golden One delivers several forearms across the chest, followed by a running knee that sends the wild man flying off into the guardrail. And Golddust follows out to drop marrow onto the steel again, before rolling him back in for a near fall. And then Golden One keeps up the attack with a clothesline and applies a chin lock as Mankind makes his way out to the ring, where he stalks after Sable,
1: once again, calling her Mommy. You know what I do love? Just chill Marlena. She's like, yeah, I'm hot. I wear uh, gold and I smoke cigars and I just sit in my high director style chair and don't react to anything. And it's like, it's like her, like Goldust is like powered by his like lust for her. It almost feels like she's, this is all in my head, but it feels like she just teases him into being uh, a good wrestler that will do anything. To make the win in hopes that maybe he'll finally uh, get, get some. her mommy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he would call her mommy because he's gross. But uh,
2: he'd probably call her mother.
0: <laughs> Officials make their way out to force Foley to leave, all while gold dust has been wearing down the wild bin. But Meryl begins to fire up, only to receive a knee to the gut to slow the momentum, followed by more strikes. To the midsection. And the golden one then sends the wild man to a corner, where Marrow leaps up and off the ropes with a blind dive, allowing him to rally with an atomic drop, right hands, leaping clothesline, a backdrop,
1: and a knee lift. I mean, so many power moves in a row.
0: Maw Man continues with mounted punches, but Goldust goes to toss him over the ropes, only for Marrow to body scissor the golden one over as well. The Wildman then climbs back into the ring, only to fly back out over the ropes with a somersault plancha, rolling gold dust in and then leaping into the ring with a slingshot leg drop. Hoo-wee! Merrow continues with a body slam and he heads up top to nail the wild thing, a shooting star press.
1: Holy shit. I was just not ready for Mark Marrow's thick ass to drop of shooting star press.
0: Oof. He makes the cover, but Marlena has climbed onto the apron to distract the ref, so he only gets a two count once the pin attempt is noticed.
1: I love, she was just so cool, chilling. She just waits for the spot, waits for the spot and gets in the way and, and save, saves the day.
0: The wild man hits a power slam for a near fall, mm. but then the Golden One reverses a whip, causing Marrow to bounce out of the corner into a curtain call, a reverse pancake. For the pin. And And the the win. win.
1: I mean, what can we say about Goldust's character work? Been impeccable. Yep. It's like him and Mick Foley. Like, Goldust, obviously, is somehow creepier and weirder. Like, (laughs) not even the fact that he's, like, coded as gay. He's just creepier and weirder. Like, that doesn't even have to be the thing. But his character work is on par with Mick Foley's for sure yep, definitely it's gets, so good
2: gets into the uh, psychological side of things and just fucks with people's heads such
1: a good yeah such good heal
0: post match Goldust starts to harass Sable as she comes into the ring to check on the wild causing her to back away and the golden one goes to kiss her but Mero attacks gold Goldust on the ropes before knocking him out of the ring bringing the officials out again to stop the fight
1: and he drops him on top of the rope to crotch him, but then he hits a drop kick to push him out. And people are always talking about how Mark Merrow stinks. Like, this is Mark Merrow's great in this match. He hit a shooting star press. Which, you know, a lot of people can do that and be bad wrestlers, but I think Mark Merrow is better than people.
2: The only issue that people really him. had with him is it's just they wanted Mark Merrow to be Johnny B. Bad. But he's, I think he's still just as good in a different way here. But he's not as charismatic. Yeah. He's he not as charismatic, that's true. He doesn't but, connect with the audience the but way. But like he
1: did. it took him quite a took him some time. Because but he put in the work to become like good in the ring.
2: Giant glitter gun is a whole lot easier to connect with people than standing on the ropes and doing that little thing with yeah, your eyes. No. WWF you know, is across yeah. like a, a mask. the
1: place where it's like you can be as good of a wrestler as you can be Tom Pritchard and never get over because you don't have the gimmick. Or you can be Goldust, where you're not you're wrestling at the clip and putting up, putting in as much work in ring as you did previously, but you're more over now because the gimmick is right. We're in a
2: gimmick-driven company. Yeah, you're more than the son of Dusty Rhodes. Yes. You're gold dust.
0: Benson sends it to an interview with Ahmed Johnson. And Kevin Kelly, our first time seeing him.
1: Ooh, I love Kevin Kelly.
0: Is conducting the interview with him at his home, where Ahmed says the mental pain bothers him more than the physical. And we see clips of Farouk attacking and injuring him after he had just won a battle royal to win a title shot, causing him to be rushed to the hospital for a ruptured kidney. And this was actually a legit injury that was caused by Farouk.
1: Dang. I mean, you know, we all know who Farouk is. He's a big boy. But so is Ahmed Johnson.
0: Guerrilla Monsoon would vacate the IC title, with Johnson understanding the decision and has nothing against Monsoon. And the doctors say Ahmed can return if the bleeding stops. But if it doesn't, they will have to remove the kidney. But Johnson doesn't care, saying nothing will stop him from returning. And then we get Pettingel, who's been doing the narration of this video, says that Austin Goldust, Savio Vega, and Psycho Sid will all compete tomorrow on Raw for that heavyweight title shot that Ahmed Johnson had to give up. Not the IC belt, but the heavyweight title
1: shot. I got kind of confused. I got, yeah, I, I got confused I like, too. I was, like, was watching <laughs> it as well. I also was like, did the, the way they talk about it is like, the, is the tournament about to happen? Did it already happen? Is the match we're about to go to? Like, the tournament final? Nope. Yep. It starts tomorrow. Normally,
2: they're much better. I at, don't even
0: think it starts tomorrow. I think...
2: No, that was the one thing that they had they said. They do was, say that, but, oh, okay. but yeah. like Tomorrow but on Raw is but, the, the, the start of the tournament. About about title yeah. shot. <laughs> way.
1: They say that tomorrow at Raw part, at the end of explaining what it is, so... Normally, WDF is very good at explaining Maybe. in packages, and this is one of the few times that they...
2: Maybe I'm still off. confused, because then I also remember seeing something about Raw on Friday. You know, yeah, Raw show. was on
0: Friday that week because of the, uh,
2: I think, the U.S. Open. Yeah, it's like either U.S. Open or Dog Show or something.
1: Westminster.
0: <laughs> we then get Todd in the ring, and he brings out Farouk and Sonny. And we haven't seen... Farouk, a.k.a. Ron Simmons, since Hostile City Showdown 1995, all the way back in episode 149.
1: Damn. can't remember or picture what he did on that show, but I know that I watched it.
0: And Pettengill starts to ask a question, but Farouk interrupts, saying he asked the questions. And that question is, why isn't Monsoon out here handing me the intercontinental title? And Pettingale says that the criminal doesn't always get to benefit from his crime. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And that Gorilla has ordered a tournament to crown a new champion. And Fruk responds with, What do I look like? A waiter? And I was like, No, you look like a dumbass gladiator. Yeah, they,
1: yeah, they gave they like reskin the, uh, Max Moon (laughs) gear. It's like, well, what if we just paint it straight blue? Is that blue? Yep. Yeah, it's like straight blue. It's like blue doesn't look good on a man of darker skin color. You need a color that pops. What are we doing here? If you're gonna go gladiator, put some gold on this man. Some silver.
0: Sunny then gets the mic and calls for her special little modern-day gladiator before telling Monsoon to have his tournament. But Sunny gets what she wants. And she wants gold. I, I, I don't know if calling Farouk a special little modern-day gladiator is going to help him at all.
2: No, not no. at all. No. They, yeah,
0: no. <laughs> I don't know how long them two are actually together. Because actually, I had totally forgotten that Sonny was with
1: Farouk. I said it And she even, I mean, yeah, she says that there's lots of sunny days coming in for Farouk. Yeah. I mean, we don't watch... A- the every television episode but I don't. the sunny days thing is that you've been saying that for quite a while and we all
0: know that i thought he said it
1: oh uh, okay maybe he did yeah i think you're right yeah there's sunny days ahead for him yeah. and then of course you know we all know you know the, what that really means oh yeah the brett and sean stuff Oof. we don't have to talk about that now <laughs> that'll be a three-part episode in the future but
2: yeah i don't think they're together for too too long just because we're not too far away from the nation coming together so his his Farooq gets a little bit of an upgrade yeah but we have yet
1: to I guess yeah because the rock is like he's when they start the nation he's immediately a member correct no no he's not okay so we haven't because we haven't got to rocky sucks quite yet
2: no the
0: Rocky the nation Rocky has to suck before the nation.
2: I, yeah, I know. Jump. That's why I was curious, like, you know, how Yeah, you gotta you gotta die, Rocky die before he can be reborn. As yeah, the it's Rock. die, Rocky die. But yeah, he's the nation comes together and then they try and force Ahmed to be a member, I believe. I think. I could be wrong. It could be one of those if you lose this match you're my butler for the next month yeah. type situations. Ron Simmons fucking rules.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Vincent sends us to a recap of our next feud, where the video jumps back and forth between Jake Roberts talking about his drinking issues and Jerry Lawler mocking him, and the snake believes in eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, while the king begs him to not use the snake, countering with alcoholic jokes. And back in the arena, Howard Finkel announces the world's strongest man, Mark Henry who comes out and joins the commentary team
1: for our next match. Pretty good stuff. Most people, when they get drunk, they see snakes. But when Jake gets drunk, or no, when snakes get drunk, they see Jake Roberts. Jerry Lawler, maybe the best at telling bad jokes. Because they just come off as like, yeah, obviously the joke was bad, but he just is so mean and shitty about it that it works. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, it's heel work. He's just... Just a natural heel. And if you don't know this about Jerry Lawler, which I'm sure most of you do, he is a teetotaler. And the guy's like never drank in his life. So it almost, it, I feel like it all like comes off even shittier. <laughs> Just like shit on somebody without having any experience uh, in, you know, their potential issues.
0: We go to our fifth match Jerry, the King Lawler. Versus Jake, the Snake Roberts. And the king comes out with a bag, asking the ref to hold it, before taking his jacket off to reveal a Baltimore Ravens jersey. Dirty birds. For some cheap heat. Baltimore. Because the Baltimore Ravens had just left Cleveland to go to Baltimore.
1: Uh,
2: that's good oh, stuff. So I didn't
0: realize that. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And the funny, and also the funny thing I mean, is knew, that Jerry Lawler is a huge Cleveland Browns fan, so... He was, he was probably just as mad about them leaving to go to Baltimore. That's as... why he knew
2: it would work exactly. so well. So were they the Cleveland Ravens? No, they were the Cleveland Browns. Okay, they were the Browns. Still moved to Baltimore,
0: okay. became the Ravens, and then, and then they, they got an the expansion. So got an expansion team back in Cleveland. So that's why there's a Cleveland Brown. Yeah. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. Well, see, that's Sonny was looking for all these damn ways to get heat. Should've
1: one had more rings, uh, uh, had a Ravens jersey on it, it under her all, shirt it And you know, taken it off you know, mid-match You know what would have even been better Is if she comes out And doesn't wear anything revealing at all Except for the Ravens jersey And then shits all over everybody So they don't even get like the TNA At all She just has like oversized It's like down to her knees Like Ravens jersey That's how she could have got <laughs> heat But sh- she's like you know 22 And hotter than the sun I can't blame her for not wanting to flaunt it.
0: So Lawler does his usual stick with the mic, making jokes, when he opens the bag introducing Jake's tag team partners, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels. Even though both bottles were Jim Beam.
1: The, uh, yeah, it's like, who was on props? The, uh, yeah, he also, you know, lets them know that uh, they wanted to sign him onto the baseball team. So he's really playing the local stuff, but who does it better?
0: The king continues by telling Roberts that he will give him a giant bottle of wine. And, like, it's a large bottle of wine.
2: Yeah, it's like gallons. I almost brought one of those, but then it's like, no, those are really expensive, so (laughs) let's do ice cream instead.
0: Uh (laughs) But tells him he will give him that bottle if he leaves the snake in the bag. But Jake doesn't take the offer, pulling his snake out and putting it on Lawler. Wink, wink. Sending the king running out to the floor. And Roberts follows out to ram Lawler into the steel steps before they head back into the ring, where Jake stomps on the crown jewels.
1: Yeah, and I love the idea that Jim Ross says It's like listening to a bad comedian on a cruise ship, and it's like, oh, they've had bad comedians on cruise ships as long as cruise ships have have existed. That's very funny. I'm glad that you didn't bring... Like, just a bottle of whiskey and be like, alright, well, for SummerSlam, <laughs> we're drinking four fingers of whiskey. <laughs> like, straight whiskey. It's not chilled. No, before. it would have been a
2: big-ass bottle of wine if I was to Okay, well, like that's, that.
1: more, that's more palatable.
2: The
0: king rolls out after Robert slams him on the floor, before also running Lawler into the ring post. Posted. Multiple times. Jake gets back in the ring, but the king grabs a fan's drink and throws it into Robert's eyes allowing Lawler to tie up the snake in the ropes before grabbing the whiskey bottle from the commentary booth. and Once he returns, Jake is able to kick away the bottle, breaking free and attempting a DDT, only for the king to backdrop him.
1: And Big Man asks, what is, uh, what is that fan going to do without a drink? Mr. Perfect. let him know that, uh, you know, Jake will buy him a drink later.
0: <laughs> Lawler hits a falling fist that seems to just wake up Robert's who fires up with jabs and a short-arm clothesline before going for another DDT, but the king grabs the ref to help block the move.
1: Ah, dirty boy.
0: Lawler then grabs the whiskey bottle and jams it into the snake's throat, causing him to fall over in pain, allowing the king to make the cover for the pin. And
1: and the the win. win. Jake Roger sells that throat.
0: Post-match, Jake is having trouble breathing trying to tell the ref, but he can't speak. So Lawler grabs the mic to talk for him, saying that his throat looks dry and he needs a drink. <sighs> the king opens the bottle and pours the alcohol on Robert. <sighs> so awful. And it was supposed to be fake, but real whiskey was in those bottles.
1: It looked like real whiskey. Sometimes you'll see like fake booze, and it's like, oh, well, they just put like iced tea in yeah. there. I could tell it was real, and it hurt to watch because, number one, that would be awful even if you didn't have a drinking problem, mm-hmm. or if you were a casual drinker, or if you never had a drink, that would be terrible, but to pour this all over this... Recovery alcoholic. Uh, yeah, abused. Abused and abusive uh, alcoholic. He's, yeah. like, hard to watch, whether you love or hate Somebody Jake Roberts as a person.
2: just recently had to have a, a stint or whatever, you know, missing the last show because of his quote-unquote demons coming... To the surface again, this storyline itself—I hate when they do storylines like this, just because yep. there's certain things in reality that don't need to be brought in. You don't need to be bringing in people's alcohol and drug issues, you know, unless you're firing them, getting rid of them, you know, bringing it to the surface that way, but making it a part of the storyline. I've always hated. Yeah,
1: it's all—it's a—it's a fine line because like personal issues draw money mm-hmm. is obviously true and the truest thing in wrestling, but. It needs to be on yeah. on the you need same to be terms a human. and when you're talking about substance issues, n- nobody looks good no. like everybody looks bad in that situation. It's not like you stole my girlfriend
2: yeah it's it's one thing if Jake yeah swapped the bottles out himself and put it in there with real put the ones with real whiskey in there, yeah. but anybody that had any hand in this. This match and anything that went along with it, they should have checked all of that shit beforehand. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's like sending a, a loaded gun you know, onto a prop set. Yeah. And... R.I.P. Brandon Lee. Yeah. Uh,
1: but the... It's like, Jake Roberts isn't just Jake the Snake. This is the guy that the movie The Wrestler is based off of, essentially. This is the guy that we've all watched Beyond the Mat. And if you haven't watched the Beyond the Mat, watch, watch it twice. Mat. But... It's the most memorable... We'll cover it one of these days. Yes, the most memorable, <laughs> compelling, and upsetting shit in that whole <laughs> documentary is the Jake shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. It was hard, That was hard to look at. Yeah. We watched people fake fight, cut themselves, throw Nintendos at each other, take unprotected chair shots. But this one was so much nastier for some reason.
0: Well, Mark Henry agreed with you guys because he's had enough. And he jumps up to stop Lawler, sending him running, before helping Jake to the back.
1: And Vince McMahon says, "If nothing else, Jake has been totally humiliated." And the way he says it feels like, like he thought it was funny or a good thing. It's like maybe it's just the evil Mr. McMahon in my head, but it feels like he was like, "This guy fucked us around too much." Let's. How I about mean, we? He how would about have we had we,
0: to have thought it was funny because he allowed it.
1: Yeah, that line. All of this goes down That'll very Jake. acidically, where I'm just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. We all know wrestling, a lot of wrestling can be in bad taste. And we take it with a grain of salt when it is, and can understand where it's coming from. But it's
2: like, ugh. a little bit of mis- A little bit of Yeesh. Mr. McMahon floating to the surface there before he makes his official debut.
0: Vincent spots Bob Backlund campaigning in the crowd. And we get a shot of it,
2: but could you...
0: Tell that it was Bob Backman?
1: No, nope. I just saw a bunch of people, and uh, maybe his, his like hand or wrist, maybe, yeah. the, maybe the top of his head.
0: Glad it wasn't just me. Nope. <laughs> we then get a video about the boiler room brawl, and Pettingell, with the narration, speaks about the unpredictable relationship between Taker and mankind. That it was forged in fate. Both men dwell in darkness, but one represents the light. Undertaker has felt the paralyzing effect of the Mandible Claw, but now their rage transcends titles and can only be confined in the bowels of the arena. Mankind thrives on pain, but how much pain can these superstars
1: endure? I do love the clip. I I, I assume it was from Raw of uh, Mankind pushing over. The the casket has gold dust on it, I assume either Goldust or Undertaker are in it, but there's a thing I noticed where it is bungee corded, like closed, and then pushed over, which is a really nice visual. It made me want to go back and find that raw episode just to at least see yeah, the, that really... in full context because it looked it was... It was like oh, this is a great a great visual. It was probably during the Undertaker
0: Goldust feud yeah. that mankind, they had a... mankind
1: started coming out. Yeah.
0: I mean, his first appearance was him coming out of that.
1: Yeah. It was just a really great visual that we haven't. that I haven't seen because I haven't seen the episode, but it was obviously a television episode. And then, of course, George the Rat. Mankind doing boiler room promos (laughs) with with George the Rat, George uh, Cornette.
0: So we go to our sixth match The Undertaker versus Mankind in a boiler room brawl.
1: And what are the rules?
0: And. They begin in the Boiler Room with the goal to fight their way to the ring, winning by claiming the urn from Paul Bearer, who's standing in the ring.
1: I do love that Paul Bearer gets the full entrance into the ring, the urn. So fun.
0: So the dead man enters and begins to wander around the Boiler Room, when Foley would attack from behind with a pipe and start choking Taker, before using more things such as chunks of wood and trash cans. The two ram each other into equipment, lockers, and tanks, when mankind would release a steam valve right into the Undertaker's face before the feed begins to cut in and out. And
1: first thing, Undertaker goes in, and they legitimately spend like three minutes of him just looking around, and there's no music, crowd sound is low, because... They just have monitors for the crowd to watch in the arena. But it's legitimately, like, kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. It, like, kind of works. The tension is actually there. You're like, when is it going to come out? And Taker it. does a really great job of all of that. Yep. It's really, really good. And they, I'm so... It's crazy they took the time to let it happen. And then the Valve was obviously an extinguisher, but, like... There's a, it's like, I try, I rewound it so many times to try to find, like, the extinguisher, because you can see with one hand, he, like, turns it, and his other hand, someone else is, like, hitting the button on the extinguisher on the other side, and he's using his, like, other hand to, like, point it at the guy, and I know it, because I rewound it a million times, but you can't see it on camera, which is pretty incredible.
0: So the dead man begins to fight back with pipes and trash cans of his own, even smashing a pallet over the head of Foley. Brutal. And Mankind goes six feet under with the pipe, then tosses Taker into a garage door before nailing a running knee to his head.
1: These guys really sell how like exhausting it is to be fighting in the dark and be being hit with stuff.
0: Foley climbs up a ladder, leaping off with an elbow drop before using more chunks of wood. Mankind then begins to drag the Undertaker back to the middle of the boiler room, where the feed. ...is still cutting in and out.
1: Ah, damn it.
0: And once we're back, Foley's setting up a ladder for another elbow drop. But the dead man sits up and dumps mankind into some trash. But the ladder actually catches the overhead pipe. And he... So Foley falls short of the trash area and he
2: actually damages his sciatic nerve yeah. in the fall. I I totally noticed that when he fell cuz yeah. He falls short that and fall. And they show a replay of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He yeah. lands like I couldn't mm-hmm. tell if he landed on his hip, his thigh, his you know, He's just like yeah. top of his ass what it was just it was, because It's like the
1: funny bone of of your uh of your torso yeah. kind <laughs> of. But yeah, like he sets up the ladder and like climbs about as high as he could but it's up just against like a brick wall. wall. Yep. And is Undertaker pulls him down and just and there's like a very it's a really well hidden crash pad it's like a tarp and like a box, box with like some still has some like you know plastic PVC pipes in it and whatnot. not but uh, he falls short and it's like ah, he definitely wanted to be about another foot or so uh, into that pad
0: they fight their way out of the boiler room and into the hallway with Mankind attempting to block the doorway with carts and trash bins Taker kicks his way free. And wrestlers just watch them fight their way down the hallway as Foley throws metal carts and hot coffee at The
1: Undertaker. Hot coffee is wild. You can see the steam off of it.
2: Who knew Bradshaw and Austin were such good friends standing there watching the fight go by? We also got, before
1: they quite left the boiler room, there was the first and potentially only light tube spot in in a WWF show. Where there's light tubes on the wall and he throws McFoley into that okay. and I was like, Ah, light
0: tubes. So Mankind comes through the curtains first, but Taker charges out with the clothesline to take Foley down. And they continue to brawl their way down the aisleway where they knock over a TV that had been set up for the crowd to see the backstage action. So like it was just all these CRT TVs that like one and on each side of the ring, yeah. so yeah. people at ringside could see it, but but while everyone else had to watch the
2: TVs at the entranceway. Which is crazy because like school days of where yeah. rolling the TVs yeah. around from room to room.
1: It's like the like this is so well done, but like can you imagine going to a pay per view and they're like I okay this, <laughs> but now we have
2: like 32 inch TVs because that's as big as they make them yeah. right now. You up there in section two thirteen, enjoy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the Undertaker starts to climb into the ring, but Mankind drags him back down and shoves him into the steps before ripping up the mats to nail a pile driver
1: Ooh. on the
0: concrete.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now Foley climbs up to the apron, but the dead man stops him, climbing up to the apron himself, where they trade strikes until Taker uses the ropes to send Mankind crashing back down to the floor. And the undertaker enters the ring, and he reaches for the urn.
1: And when he threw Mick Foley out, he crashed to the concrete floor. Just so you know.
0: The pallbearer turns around and refuses to relinquish it. Oh my god. Allowing Foley to make his way into the ring and lock on the mandible claw. And bears in the corner laughing until the dead man sits up. So Foley applies the claw again before holding Taker so that Paul can slap and kick him.
1: Oh my gosh. The
0: Undertaker continues to crawl towards bear with Mankind continuously kicking him, when Paul would clock the dead man over the head with the urn before handing it to Foley for the win.
1: I mean, it sounds like not a lot happened in this match, when it's said out loud, but it is incredibly well done the turn is incredibly well done i would say that this is the first true cinematic match yeah it's like the piper and gold dust thing was fun i like it a lot it's interesting it's got a bit of a jokey vibe to it with the you OJ. know bronco and oj thing but like this is better than any cinematic thing that the wf's done as far as official matches go and it's kind of the first one and then the beautiful mcfoley winning theme plays because like his first theme is always creepy but that when he when he wins a match his song is different and it's like kind of melancholy but celebratory Ah, feels so good
2: So you said it better than I was going to, because I was trying to think of the words to describe it, and it's like, you've got, you know, sad, creepy to, like, inspirational creepy. You know what it reminds me of? It sounds
1: (laughs) very much like a, it reminds me of the Twin Peaks theme. I can say that. Which uh, is one of my favorite songs of all time. So, maybe that's why I love it so much.
0: Post-match, mankind clutches the urn while Bearer hugs him before the two leave together as Paul continues to laugh. And Taker lays motionless in the ring.
1: Just flat in the ring. Taker really fucking... He obviously is completely behind Mick Foley. Mick Foley has essentially ran a train on Undertaker since he showed up.
0: And the gong sounds. And the lights go out. Druids start chanting and they walk to the ring (laughs) before carrying the Undertaker out of the arena. So, as you kind of mentioned, cinematic match. Because the entire boiler room part of the match was filmed the day before. It didn't go to live until they came out of the curtains.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the cuts are kind of are really well done, where like it looks like the camera cuts out. But it doesn't feel new or like a clean cut, because when they cut back in... Like, somebody's already doing a move on somebody. Mm-hmm. The camera's still in the same place. They're not in a new location. It's very tastefully done, considering yeah. how, you know, outlandish a it few is. seconds
2: in between, instead of 15 minutes, like, Piper yeah. and Goldust.
1: Yeah, and also, it's like, these guys are doing crazy stuff to each other. Um, so, like, on a WWF show, we haven't seen shit like this.
0: So, a crazy note about this match. It was almost the last match of the dead man's career because he would get a staph infection from a cut in the boiler room. Ugh, Disgusting. And he nearly had to amputate his arm. Jesus. It was that bad.
1: Jesus. I mean... I never had a staph infection but it's kind of the grossest thing I can think of because it's basically just your body fills with
2: like poisonous pus. Yep. It's awful. And here we thought that, you know, the worst thing that could happen down there was Mick Foley licking a dirty pipe, but... He was just building up his immune system. (laughs) Yeah, Mick Foley's definitely got a better immune system.
0: We then go backstage, and Doc Hendricks is there with Vader and Jim Cornette. Doc asks if Vader will shock the world. And Corny chimes in that they have proved a lot of things over the last couple of months. So when the Mastodon gets his hands around Sean's throat... He will sound like Peter Frampton's electric kazoo. Wow.
1: In the instrumental break from Do You Feel Like I Feel? Wow, 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 wow. I love when Corny makes musical references because they're as obscure as like mid tier, like Jethro Tull, or as famous but still technically outdated as Peter Frampton in 96. Just, yeah, it's just so charming, but like <laughs> so funny.
0: Jim then promises that it will be a bad ride and they will come out on top. We then go to our seventh match. Vader with Jim Cornette versus the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels with Jose Lothario for the WWF Championship. So the Mastodon taunts the crowd as he makes his way to the ring before throwing the ring steps around.
2: He's just mad about something.
1: I mean... He's a manster, according to Jim Rolls.
2: Hey. Clarence Mason is not checked in on him at all, so maybe he's feeling left out. He's got the better man.
0: <laughs> and as the heartbreak kid makes his way out, a young lady jumps the rail and kisses him. Security's mm-hmm. not very good at these shows, guys. no nope. yeah.
1: And Shawn Michaels' uh, ring gear is very Michael Jackson-esque. It's kind of like somewhere between... It's like gladiator chainmail, but like, not. You've all seen Michael Jackson before Mm -hmm. in the 90s. I mean, come on.
0: So Vader uses his power advantage early on, throwing punches and short arm clotheslines. But Sean catches a big boot attempt and sweeps the leg to take the Castodon down. Michaels hits a basement drop kick and strikes the phase Vader, but a back elbow puts Vader back in charge momentarily. Trying to toss the heartbreak kid out of the ring, only for Sean to drop down and the momentum sends the mastodon out to the floor. Michaels would follow out with a baseball slide and a tope con hio, beautiful out on Vader. a beautiful one. Cornette helps the mastodon up and they look to regroup. When HBK would slide out, which would scare Corny away.
1: I mean his reaction, the scream and run off, beautiful. <laughs>
0: before Sean would turn to smack Vader with a right hand. And they head back into the ring with Sean coming off the top with a double axe handle, followed by a hurra Michaels then leaps onto the mastodon's shoulders to head-scissor Vader out to the floor, before skinning the cat to re-enter.
1: I do love that the cro- there's Vader signs in the crowd. There's some of the crowd that is pro-Vader. It's Vader a- time, baby. As they should be, but... There is a lot more girls here at wrestling in 96 in the WWF and uh, goddamn do they love Shawn Michaels.
0: HBK then attempts to leap over for another rana, but the Mastodon catches and power bombs Shawn down to the floor before slamming him over the ropes back into the ring. Hell yeah. Vader continues with stiff shots, a vertical suplex, whipping Michaels corner to corner to get a flare flip out of him. The Mastodon continues with stomps, headbutts, and a back body drop. Goes for a back suplex, but rabbit punches and a flip over from HBK, allows him to rally momentarily, only for Vader to poke the eyes. Sean is then tossed to a corner with the Mastodon charging in after. Only for Michaels to avoid, but Vader turns and clotheslines HBK down to the mat. And the Mastodon goes for another suplex only for Sean to float over and charge at Vader, who sidesteps him and shoves Michaels over the ropes, which HBK tries to skin the cat once more, but the Mastodon catches him and tosses him off to the mat for a two count.
1: He lifts, lifts him up and fucking darts him onto his belly.
0: Vader begins to wear down Sean with a hold, but he fires up with right hands and a leaping knee to the gut. Michaels goes for a clothesline to no avail, goes to charge at him once more, but tries to slide under him, only for the Mastodon to just put his foot on HBK's throat. Hell yeah. Vader then goes for a pump splash, but Sean gets his knees up, allowing him to nail a clothesline and head up top for a flying elbow, but he lands on his feet and just begins to stomp on the Mastodon's head. And the reason that was is because Vader was supposed to move, but he doesn't. So Michaels begins to throw a tantrum, yelling at him, Move! Move!
1: <laughs> I do love the creative way to get him down on the third clothesline. It's like, yeah, a lot of times like one, two, okay, well the third one. But there's a, big, there's a good enough break in between there that like, yeah, it's a, a really intelligent spot.
0: HBK's tossed to the ropes, ducks a clothesline, and comes back with a crossbody that sends them both over the ropes. And Sean shoves a camera out of his face before the mastodon press slams him onto a guardrail, causing a countout. But, Cornette doesn't want to win that way. They want the title. And he guilts Michaels into restarting the match. And as soon as the announcement's made, Vader attacks out on the floor before going after Lothario, And the ref has to back Jose up, which allows Corning to get involved with a racket shot to the back of HBK. The Mastodon then tosses Sean into the ring before nailing an avalanche splash and a belly-to-belly suplex. For the pin! And no! Michaels kicks out! Vader goes for a powerbomb but more rabbit punches takes the mastodon down, followed by a leaping forearm, kip up and a flying elbow. And HBK sets up for some sweet chin music. Tune up the band. When Cornet would grab his leg, but Shawnee would drag Corny up to the apron to smack him, allowing Jim to toss the racket into the ring. Michaels then kicks the mastodon away, picks up the racket and smashes Vader with it several times before turning and doing the same to Cornette, ding, ding, ding. causing the disqualification.
2: Dun, dun, dun.
0: But...
2: Record scratch. Uh. Jim grabs the <laughs> mic
0: and accuses the Heartbreak Kid of getting disqualified on purpose.
2: Sure looked like it. Totally. Daring
0: him to restart the match once more, with Sean agreeing to do so again. Michaels goes right after the Mastodon, attempting a sunset flip. Only for Vader to try and just sit down. The heartbreak kid moves in time. Sean then nails another leaping forearm and a flying elbow. Before delivering sweet chin music. Tune it up. For the pin. And no. no the Mastodon kicks out.
1: Shawn Michaels can't believe it.
0: Vader shoves Michaels into the ref. Which sends Heather flying
1: out of the ring.
0: Allowing the Mastodon to hit a powerbomb and making the cover as another official comes into the ring. For the pin! And no! HBK kicks out again!
1: Hey, it was a late count.
0: The Mastodon drags Sean to the corner for a Vader bomb, but Corny tells him to do the Vader salt instead. No! Only for Michaels to move in time. The heartbreak kid then climbs the ropes and nails a moonsault of his own. For the pin! And And the win. win. Post-match, officials run down to the ring to prevent the Mastodon from attacking. So they leave to the back as Vince says his goodbyes, and we fade to black.
1: Mm. I think I may have realized, I don't know why it took me so long, but Vader in WCW, his mask, I don't even call it a mask, because it doesn't really cover anything. But his mask is on for two to five minutes. If even. Stays on in a WWF match, mm-hmm. especially this one where I was like, "Oh, his mask didn't come off." I'm so used to just coming off, seeing you know. The,
2: but I mean, uh, on this show specifically, his mask has to stay on because they start the show talking about monsters and their masks and whatnot. Yeah, so for sure.
1: But I feel like I feel like it stays on even in the yeah, WWF matches. WCW, like like,
2: he came down with that smoking smoking mask I think we'll, thingy, yeah, and yeah, nobody cared about the little that no. mask yeah. on his face after that. Yeah, it really wasn't that important to the gimmick. Huh.
0: So, fun note. Mm-hmm. Originally, the Mastodon was supposed to win here. With Sean regaining the title at the Royal Rumble in his hometown of San Antonio.
1: Would have loved to see it.
0: But Michaels hated working with Vader. As so a lot he, of people did. So he vetoed that series of matches.
1: <laughs> and supposedly Vader worked hard, although we've seen Vader work harder... With men that weren't divas. Yeah. We've seen Vader legitimately just like punch Sting in the side of the temple. Those Vader shoot punches, they don't happen in this match. But Sean shoot kicks him, and it's legitimately exciting because I didn't quite, you know, catch that that wasn't the plan because it's very smooth. But like, he's the one that throws a fit. Vader's just big and dumb. You know, no offense, but everyone will tell you that Leon, you know, loved his family, but he was not the sharpest, like, tool in the shed. And he did work hard, and he wasn't very very hygienic.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, oftentimes he worked hard in those same clothes that he'd been not washing for yeah, I mean, several months. Yeah, watch
1: watch a bunch of Vader matches. Sometimes he wears his ring gear just backwards. Mm-hmm. It, what's
2: the prescription
1: of Brett? It was like <laughs> wrestling a concrete truck full of vomit because he never wore, washed those gloves, didn't really wash his gear. He was like, and he hit hard, smells bad, and those matches leave you, you know, feeling a little rougher in the morning. So I
0: ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of SummerSlam
2: 96? Well, this is honestly the first time I had watched SummerSlam '96. I realized that as I was about halfway through it, like I've never actually seen any of these matches before, because well. this was, this was the uh, around the time I was working at Blockbuster, trying to figure out if I was going to be going back to school, and well, I think at that time I had decided I wasn't going to be going back to school, but yeah work took priority so i wasn't working or watching as much wrestling at the time this one i don't know it it wasn't the summer slam that i'm used to it just i don't know it's not a hard watch no it wasn't a hard watch but it's just not a very exciting watch the entire way through i agree with you it's
1: like cuz it's like there's some good stuff in here but i don't know if there's any great stuff in here. Yeah. It's like the Boiler Room match is good. It's important. It's great character work. Same goes for the Goldust. And then Vader and Sean is good. But it's not my favorite Vader
2: match. Or my favorite Sean match. Not my favorite Undertaker and Foley match. No.
0: I mean, it sounds like we're all basically on the same page because i literally wrote down on, on paper it seems like it is a good card but the show just kind of falls flat. Mm-hmm. There's some good storytelling moments some memorable moment, moments obviously Paul Bear turning on Undertaker is a yeah. hugely memorable moment. There is the The whole, whole, whole yeah. Boiler room brawl is memorable yeah. just because it's the first time WF has ever really done anything like this. And
1: pulled it off as, in a more serious manner. Yeah. But it just... It what? never gets there. It's like, more more moments than matches. Yeah. Like, okay. I think that the best matches on the show are maybe... Sid and Bulldog's S- my favorite match. S- yeah, Sid, Bulldog, and Goldust, Mark Marrow, I think are both great wrestling matches. And like sean and vader isn't bad Hmm. but it's like it's just like this feud isn't really very palpable whereas like even if those feuds in the matches that i did like a lot were not super well built or felt super important people involved made it feel important at the time on the show where like vader and sean it's like well i mean
2: yeah so. you could tell about two minutes into that match that that feud was just done
1: yeah whereas like
2: I'd like to see another you
1: know, Goldust Mark Mero match that's, that would still be good on a Raw and Sid and Bulldog would be good again as long as Sid is in this mode but we don't have there's no Austin on the show yeah and Austin's on come you see Austin the from come a doorway up.
0: that's yeah. about it you Austin have... was on a pre-show with Yokozuna
2: mm, that sounds okay wonderful Exactly where my King of the Ring winner the, should be uh, on the pre-show where nobody can broke watch it. Rope's and Yokozuna fell off, and oh. that's Boston won.
1: Yeah. yeah, they did. They did talk about that at some point. And on there was the a show.
0: bikini, a bikini, a bikini showdown with Sable, Marlena, and Sonny
2: on the free for all. Mm-hmm.
1: Clarence Mason as the ref and whoever, yeah.
2: Whoever can make him sweat.
1: I was gonna say, like, or yeah, do you have three three managers in front of them, and whoever gets a boner first, <laughs> that's
2: the winner. Well, as long as one of them's not longer, then. <laughs> Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? There.
0: All right, fuck you. I think it's time we mark it up. Yep. So, what
1: are some of the best moments of this show? Sid, caring. <laughs> yeah. Sid caring is great. Mark Merrow shooting star press. Yeah, blew my mind. Yeah, those are like the two Peter big Peter Frampton's electric kazoo. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we all know Corny can talk. I feel like that the. Well, I won't say that because I'm not. It's not not calling it a highlight, but I think those are the moments that I think I'll take away from
2: this. I mean the the Taker Foley cinematic wonderment.
0: This, this, the stuff in the. Boiler Room, I, I think it might have gone on a little too long. Yeah, yeah. And I think that might be where... Because also, like, you said that there wasn't anything, like, there was no sound, the cr- you couldn't really hear the crowd. There wasn't any, any, really any commentary going
2: <laughs> no, on no, while yeah. they were in the Boiler Room brawl. And yeah, I it think... started off with them, you know, kind of making a comment about Undertaker looking scared or, you know...
1: They should have worked harder on the, on the commentary because... Both guys work it incredibly well. Like it looks like a struggle, it looks like a fight, but sitting there at home I mean, like it was
0: it was a choice to not have really any commentary going on mm-hmm. during the match. Yeah. And so you to I, that I, eerie think, I think that might have been the wrong choice. Been the wrong choice. I mean, just them reacting to the brutalness of of what was going on would have probably just worked. Mm-hmm. Like and... they didn't need to like what a maneuver it or anything. No, <laughs> and the, the
1: crowd is, like, because crowd noise, you can still hear, and they do pop throughout this, like, pre-taped thing, but and... But it's
0: basically, like, the first two rows of fans, of yeah. Fans, but it's still, like, the point where see it see
1: gets it. pretty, like, pretty loud, yeah. and, uh, you know, well, I figured that maybe they had it on, like, I mean, they had it on their, their
0: Tron thing... Out there, but,
1: but yeah, the fans in the front can't really. I mean, see it's now.
0: still there's plenty of people that really still can't see it. Yeah, but, so yeah. good idea. I, but the I
1: think it's executed the well. by the,
0: the yeah, the execution of the match itself is well. The production of oh, okay. the match isn't the best, and we'll see once they. I mean, once they get a Titantron. Everyone all all just... the all these issues yeah. are null and void because then you know everyone can see the, the Titantron. But at this moment, the technology just isn't quite there yeah. There, where the production can be good for. But it.
1: the turn, yeah, incredibly well turn's done. Turn is good. That, I think, the whole thing, considering, is done really really well. But it's not really surprising. It's not my favorite favorite thing on the show still because you know the favorite thing is always going to be the thing that excited you made your eyes widen, made you sit up a little straight like clicked you back in and who knew who could have known that maybe it was psycho sid that made me feel that way never could have guessed
0: (laughs) how about most disappointing
2: sable's acting abilities Whole
0: Lawler um, snake yeah, stuff.
2: Like. And I, but I think that that was
1: entertaining. And I do think that... I think it was entertaining and compelling. But I still think it kind of sucks that it happened. But I can't say I was bored by it.
2: The Lawler Jake, Jake Yeah, I can't, I can't yeah, say I, see, I was bored I, by that. I didn't find... I didn't see I mean, any I, entertainment in it. For I long. will I admit that... I thought
0: it was entertaining. I laughed at the tag team partner's joke... And I laughed at the giant bottle of wine. But once it got going... You got crazy. Literally literally all I wanted to see was Jake come out, DD Team. And we didn't get that. And then, I'm going to admit it right now, surprise of the night. Jake didn't win the match. Yeah, Jerry Lawler, who's a commentator, who gets like one or two matches a year, wins this match. Yeah. Like... Yep. Like... Where, where does, where does, Rob, I, mean, I mean, obviously Roberts is probably out the door at this,
1: Vince McMahon pretty close out at, the, at yeah. this point. Vince McMahon has that line and it's like, obviously they were just like, oh, you can come back. But when you come back, like, obviously we're just going to throw you out the door and punish you is what it feels like. It's like, oh yeah, come in, give you some money, but we're going to make you, we're going to legitimately embarrass you and put you out the back door. And uh, it, while it is gross... It is compelling, To It was... I, I wasn't bored. It wasn't... Oh shit, what's the most boring match on this show?
0: This one, It's not the tag team match.
1: Yeah, like the tag team match, I think, was probably... But, like, this... It's like, I also kind of like looking at train wrecks. <laughs> I do love... I do love some grimy films, so... This has kind of that... I'm, I'm a, also that a feel. fan
2: of, of train wrecks, so to speak, but... I, I prefer them to be watching somebody wreck themselves and not yeah know, on the receiving end of somebody's dumb humor.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. As much as I think that it, it sucked that it happened, I can't say I was bored. Yeah.
2: As much as I would love to. But then the, the Sable screaming and crying because mankind wants to talk to her, that was just dumb.
0: Ahmed John- the whole Ahmed Johnson stuff, that's disappointing just because... I do know that basically his—you're you, never going to see another real good match from him no. because he's a bummer cause we because because were... he comes back and in trying to protect himself, he ends up not protecting his opponents,
1: uh... and
0: so his matches become slop, very sloppy.
1: It's a shame because he's such a wonderful physical specimen, and also. Farouk, Gladiator. Yeah, that's weird. It I... doesn't help to like. Sonny's not gonna put him over. Like at this point, it's like, yeah, they're gonna react to her. They're not gonna react to him. They're also not gonna react to him wearing a bunch of goofy crap. Yeah. You know what they would react to is if he came out and maybe attacked somebody uh, or worked worked his way into a match to cause. Babyface to I mean,
0: lose. I th- technically him and Ahmed were supposed to have a match on this show. Yeah. yeah Obviously they were Ahmed, to be for the Intercontinental belt. Ahmed's
1: hurt, yeah, so probably should have waited but to but it's like, well we now we know those we know this guy's gonna be in the tournament now. Well it means something if we put him on the pay per view, but you know, it's not not a great debut, but yeah. who gets great debuts anymore anyway?
0: I'll say mark uh, go back to best moments Mark Henry had a great debut yeah for, for a guy who didn't wrestle like, Yeah, exactly we, That's we see said. him helping the community Yes. so he's a great guy being nice to kids and then he I thought he was pretty fun on the commentary mm-hmm. he and was. then he scares off lawlers so I assume that probably him and lawler probably have a match at some point but and lawler's a good person to have a
1: Early feud with. Uh,
2: early feud with. Because... Are going to get a Mark Merrow team or Mark Mer- Mark Henry team versus Lawler team at Survivor Series? <laughs> Doesn't sound terrible. The Kings Court versus the Olympic. Olympians? Something, yeah. <laughs> Olympic Olympians. There you go. I like it.
1: It's lazy enough for, for man to think it's good. How about best performer of the night? Hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm saying psycho it Yeah. It's it's basically Sid or Goldust. And then it's like, obviously, Taker and Mankind can get it any other night, but...
2: I mean, Taker almost lost an arm for this. They
1: get it all the time, so if it's not those two guys, if I'm going to excommunicate them from the conversation, then it's Goldust or Sid, and I'm going to pick Sid, because Sid doesn't get that very often. No. And Goldust... Very true.
0: And who knows if he'll ever be able to get it again. True.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm legitimately excited to see... Another go. another Sid match, yeah. which is crazy. Never felt that way in my life.
0: <laughs> How about most surprising?
1: I mean, I already said mine, which was Lawler
0: winning his match.
1: Yeah, I didn't think it was surprising just because I knew that like Jake wasn't long for this world, but
0: but Roberts is still the he's yeah. still the he's actual still, active wrestler. He's still out of those stuff. two. Yeah, my thought is, and he, everybody wants to see a DDT. He yeah. lost
2: the the King of the Ring, and you know, helped elevate Austin, so they could have given him a win at SummerSlam. Take down the King.
1: I was surprised uh, that um, Mark, Mark Henry. Mark Henry. Yeah. Mark, so yeah. Was no this is where Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say Mark Henry was a bigger surprise than Bradshaw because he has kind of a slow rise through the company.
0: We're going to at least see him for the next 10 years, because that's how
1: long his contract is. But it was surprising. Anytime Vader has a match, I'm always waiting for Vader, like, shoot combo in the corner. And when he doesn't use it, it's surprising, and I take note of it. And I always look for it, and when I didn't see it here, it's like I knew he wasn't going to win. But I, you know, it's like, oh... That's how big of a baby Shawn Michaels is. All right.
2: He won't take those large forearms to the head. Don't shoot me for saying this, but surprising for me, I did not enjoy the opening match with Owen and Savio. I
1: they don't. Just,
2: they didn't seem to have much chemistry together. Well, literally, the match got thrown together like.
0: Oh, was on, it just on, on the spot thing? Just kinda? on the spot, okay.
2: Because uh, Owens always. Savio, Savio
0: and Justin Hawk Bradshaw had been having issues on TV, and then for some reason they decided to put Owen Hart versus Savio on the pay per view, even though they not had any reason to fight. Yeah, why not just have, why, why just not just did... have Bradshaw and Savio? And it was just like guess we're just going to keep this feud going for a
1: look. Like, is that a feud that needs to go longer? like. No. No. I mean, Owen's always compelling. His character work is great. But it felt kind of like a... As good as he was, if it didn't feel like the right way to open the show.
0: If anything, that matched all it does is build the Clarence Mason-Cornet storyline. Yeah. Which
1: also is not a highlight.
0: It's like cool, Clarence Mason, that's that's our storyline? for yeah. like,
1: If Clarence Mason don't had <laughs> a quarter of the charisma as Jim Cornette, it could potentially work. But he is a charisma vacuum, whereas uh, Cornette is I mean, a charisma machine.
0: Literally what it sounds like is that Cornette's contract was about to come up, and so they were trying to position someone else as their manager. Yeah. So Cornette could go off and do his Smoky Mountain. Smoky Mountain well,
1: I mean, he's about to be on the writing team and you continue to be on the writing team for another couple of years, but another highlight? <laughs> when when Shawn Michaels slides out of the ring, directly in between, pops up between Corny and, and Vader, and it's a pure Looney Tunes moment that is done like in a way that doesn't come off as, you know, no pun intended. Like, corny. It doesn't come off as hokey. It feels, it's just like, oh, yeah, of course he would do that. And, like, he doesn't oversell it quite like Sable did. Because, you know, he's professional. Making their way to the ring!
0: It's trivia time! Oh, This week, the category is The Numbers Game. The
2: Numbers Game!
0: 3 points for the closest without going over. Okay. The question is, how many theme songs oh, did shit. we play at the end of episodes, different unique songs did we play at the end of episodes
1: between
2: 93 and 93
1: 94. and 94? 94. Probably about like 50 episodes. I don't know how I feel about it, but it's 55 episodes. I'll give you that clue. Okay. I keep changing my mind. You good, good, Shane?
0: Yep. All right. Let's see those numbers. Shane goes with 17. Michael goes with 38. Three points for Michael. Oh. As the answer was 40. Wow.
2: What's crazy is how... I just figured we had the same old winner on at least 15 of those shows. So much ECW. (laughs)
0: Bonus question for two
2: points. Fuck.
0: Which theme did we play the most times?
2: Are we just writing this down, or are we an eh, and answering? You can make a guess.
1: You can make a guess. It's the only one of you can get it right. Alright, yeah, so just make it, if you make, you know, if you make a guess and you think you're right, that's fine. I just won't pick that one. Fuck it. I'll say
0: Brett. Heart attack is incorrect. Okay. Ooh.
1: Is it Hogan and WCW?
0: That is incorrect as well as the answer was Spoch Zadathustra. Oh
1: my gosh. So unfortunate. That As much as everybody loves Ric Flair, he just, you know, still never gets his due.
2: I mean, I, yeah, I, I was thinking he didn't have as many wins in, but...
1: It feels like he hasn't had a series of wins in a It's about the time that he time. came
2: back. Yeah. And then I guess he did go on a streak well, there.
1: He does, but Hogan comes back and fucks it all up. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to remember that, that little streak.
0: Bonus question for one point. Oh my
1: god, he keeps it going.
0: How many times did
1: we play Spotch? Price is right rules. Price is right rules.
2: I got a number. You got a number? Alright, how many times do we hear Spotch between 93 and 94? That is the question. We'll say
0: that. Shane goes with 11 Michael goes with eight. Ooh. And you're both over.
1: Oh, what is it? Seven?
0: Six times. Oh.
1: Uh, yeehaw. So Spotch was
0: played six times. Vader's song, Afro Rock, was actually played four times. Hogan's American Made, three times. And then a handful of ones two times, such as.
2: Was Brett one of those two times? One,
0: two, three, kid. Luger, Sabu, Terry Funk, and Undertaker.
2: Mm -hmm. So Bret Hart has not won at the end of the show. Bret Hart has heartbeat and heart attack. Ooh. Unique. So they only played one time each, huh? Yep.
0: Rude. So only three points gained this week by Michael?
1: I'll take it. I need it, I promised. That's true.
0: Next week, Natural Born Killers.
2: Natural Born killers.
1: Can you imagine who might be in this main event? Dr.
2: Dre and Snoop Dogg? Mm-hmm. Not Woody, Tupac. Woody Harrelson and Julia Lewis? <laughs> Mickey and Mallory?
0: Music from this week's show is Beach Party Version 2 by Steve Voss. And the Heartbreak Kid won our main event, so we play his theme music. Sexy Boy oh. by Jimmy Hart and J.J. McGuire. If you like this episode, or any of our other ones, go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Spotify! Or wherever you find your podcasts at. Do as Michael says.
1: Five stars or no stars, get it right.
0: And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. If
2: you've ever been to uh, a little place called Philly, and you know of things that they like to eat, drink, snack on, Philly roll call, something. Maybe I should bring a Philly roll. Have I brought a Philly roll for a Philly show yet? No, I don't think so. Wow. I mean, I brought enough sushi, though, I think, here recently. So maybe we'll just hold that one for a while. But yeah, if you if you know anything that would have to do with a place in Philly that you think that we should try, slide into the DMs. Let us know.
0: Tweet it. We you can do those things at our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Wrestling Historians. Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X We'll talk to you next week
1: Oh god, laters